If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. I want to say, in this great book, as you know, um, we take our time walking through the scriptures. If you've been here for any length of time, you know the book of Acts was not just a 28 Wednesday experience. There are 28 chapters. It takes time. Romans, I don't have any idea how long, but we're in this thing for, for the whole deal. It's only 16 chapters, but there's so much in this great book, so much great theology and profoundness that we must walk through it slowly. We must eat slowly on this book because we find great revelation of the essence of the gospel, oh man, and the life of the believer. There's just so much to it. And uh, I'm going to stop talking about what all's in it and let's just get into it. But I want to just say for just a moment before we start reading <laughs> Romans chapter 1, in the book of Galatians, the, the apostle Paul teaches us in Galatians chapter 1, he says if, if anyone, let me, let me just, just, can I just read it to you right quick? Yes, pastor. Thank you. He says to them, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. You know, God called you specifically in the grace of Christ. He says, I marvel that you are turning away from this to another gospel. Well, in other words, there really is no other gospel than the grace of Christ Jesus that has come to us. There is, there's no other way for us Gentiles who are on the outside to be able to even receive from God except for grace. We had no rights. We had no natural rights. The, the natural born children of Abraham, the children of Israel, had the rights. But we didn't have the rights. Remember what Ephesians said? That we were far off. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were without hope and we were without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, we who were far off have been brought near by the blood. Then he says, there's some who trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. If it's outside of grace, it's a perversion of the gospel. But even if we, listen to what he says, even if we are an angel from heaven, my Mormon brothers and sisters, preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. In other words, this is all you need to know. This is all you need to know. If I came back to you and tried to tell you something else, let me be accursed. If an angel from heaven comes and tells you something else than what I've already preached to you, let him be accursed. This is very strong language. And then he says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches... Any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. What that should tell us here as we're looking at the book of Romans authored by the Apostle Paul is that that really elevates Paul's teaching for us right to the top. Yeah. All right? We need to know what this man is bringing to us before we know anything else. Let me just say this to you. If you really want to have a good understanding of the Bible, you must first start at the Apostle Paul. We wouldn't know anything about Jesus if it had not been for this Apostle. We wouldn't know anything about it. Jesus taught him the message to bring to us. So that's why Bible reading can be a little bit confusing and laborious at times if you're not, if you don't have a good grasp 
of the true gospel. Then it can be very confusing. You can be up one day and down the next, you know, and skipping over scriptures because you don't understand them, you don't really like them. You know what I'm talking about. Or am I the only person that used to do that? I mean, there, I like what Mark Twain said. It's not the scriptures I don't understand that bothers me. It's the ones that I do understand that bothers me. <laughs> so we must understand. Romans 1.1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God separated to the gospel of God. We're going to park here for some time tonight. It's important that we understand what this means to be separated to the gospel. The word separated in the Greek means to be drawn apart with boundaries or to be fenced in. So when Jesus, God didn't just draw Paul out of his situation and just release him. Now, Go be better. Go be different, Paul. No, he put him within boundaries. He put a hedge around him and separated for his own purposes. So on the road to Damascus, as we read in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, is where we see the experience where Paul has got papers to deliver more people uh, to the judge or to prison. And uh, he's on the road to Damascus to do that. And a light shone from heaven as the scripture says, all around him, and it was brighter than the noonday. And a voice spoke to Paul saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you remember what Paul said, or Saul at that time, he said, who are you, what? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Now see, Paul thought he knew who God was. He thought he knew. As a matter of fact, he was pro-God, but he was anti-Christ. And he's about to figure out that you cannot be both of those things. He was separated to the gospel of God on that day. And it's, it's important for all of us to understand what it means for Paul's life as well as our very own lives to be separated to the gospel. What that looks like. What was, what was Paul separated from? Was Paul separated from a, a life of sin? Was he, was he separated from a lifestyle of licentiousness? Let's run over to Philippians chapter 3. Here in, a, here in a little bit, I'm going to ask some of you to read some scriptures. Is that all right if we kind of do a Bible study format tonight? All right, I want, I want to get you involved in, in some of this. Uh, um, but now watch this. This is what Paul says. Concerning zeal, this is Philippians chapter 3, verse Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He's showing us how passionate he was about his religion, that he was persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I'd say that's pretty zealous. And you got to be really confident in what you're saying to say that right there. Concerning the law, blameless. Peter said none of us could keep the law. Why are we trying to put on the Gentiles what we nor our fathers could bear? But Paul said, concerning the law, I was blameless. And then verse 7, he says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted for loss, counted loss for Christ. So he said he was blameless. He wasn't separated then from a life of drugs, a life of alcohol, life of whatever you want to, 
whatever sin you want to list here. What was he separated from? According to the law, he's a good man, isn't he? If he says he's blameless, isn't Paul a good man? Come on, talk to me. If he's doing all this good stuff, doing it right, following the rules, but there's a huge problem with Paul. He hates the church. You can be a good person and hate the church. Paul did. But to live a true Christian life, I don't think it's possible to hate the church and live a true Christian life. I didn't say you can't be a Christian. I'm just saying I I just don't think that you can live the life. Because this is not some kind of organization. It's an organism. It's not just a building, it's a body. Huh? We are the body of Christ. Paul said the house of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the ground of truth. How can a real Christian say they hate the church? Scripture says that Christ died for the church and gave himself for her. I'm not talking about hating religion. I have a great disdain for it myself. Paul didn't hate religion. (laughs) He loved it and he lived it. He hated the church. What does it mean? What does it mean to be separated to the gospel? What's he talking about? That God separated me to the, I was separated to the gospel of God. Wasn't that he was living this horrible lifestyle? He had all, all the, Checks and balances. He was living right, it seemed, on, at least on the outside. Now, let's run to Hebrews chapter 12. Everybody good? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 8 says this. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then are you illegitimate and not sons. The Greek word here for illegitimate is the word nothos or nothos, nothos, however you want to say it, N-O-T-H-O-S, N-O-T-H-O-S. Can anybody guess what that word means? You can say it in church tonight, I'm giving you a license. It means bastard. Come on, make a friend of the word. One, one, listen, but listen to the definition here, all right? One born not in lawful wedlock, but of a concubine or a female slave. Hmm. So this, is, this isn't just talking about where a guy meets up with a woman and they conceive outside of marriage. This is talking about a specific kind of bastard, all right? This is talking about a specific one born of a female slave or a concubine. This is, you're, this is really going to bless you tonight. All right? Are you ready? Run over to Galatians again, chapter 4. We're going to spend a few minutes in Galatians because Paul really begins to unravel for us what it means to be separated to the gospel. All right? 
separated to the gospel. I would prefer that we don't tweet the word tonight, but we'll keep it within our four walls. All right, Galatians chapter 4, verse 11. If you have a King James version of the Bible, it just says bastard. So New King James was a little skittish about saying, let's just call him illegitimate. All right. Galatians 4 says this, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Let's continue. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Five, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, crying out. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. Say, no longer a slave. I'm a son, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods or rather devils. But now after you have known God or are rather known by God. Oh boy, that's good, isn't it? That's even more comforting, isn't it? Now that you know God or rather known by God. He knew you before you knew him. He called you by name before you ever even knew who he was. He put his plan in, his, in your heart, in your life. He spent that time in your mother's womb, him and you, constructing your plan. Hallelujah. Knitting your destiny together. David said, you formed me in the inward, the lower parts of the earth. You saw my substance yet being unformed. How is it that you turn again, watch, to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Now, Paul's not talking about sinful habits here. Although he does deal with those things in other places, but here Paul's talking about those who are trying to maintain righteousness by some kind of law. Look at verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. Because what you're doing is not what I brought to you. The way that you're living is not according to that gospel of grace that I brought to you. Somebody has been tricking you, deceiving you, twisting the words. Now watch, verse 21. Let's jump down to 21. We've got to move further in this, in this chapter. Uh, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had how many sons? Two sons, watch, the one by a bondwoman, which would make him a <laughs> bastardo. The other by a free woman. So we understand right now what the son of a bondwoman is according to the scripture, right? Verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, 
but he of the free woman through promise. Oh, thank the Lord. Which things are symbolic, for these are two covenants. Oh. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, the bondservant, who produces bastard children. And the other one is this better covenant, this covenant of promise, this covenant that is established upon better promises, Isaac being the promised son, being the picture or the type and shadow of Christ, the one to come. Verse 25. So what does, okay, let me just say this. If that's Mount Sinai, if Hagar is Mount Sinai, then what does that make those who May, who get their righteousness by the law. Bastards. Those who get their righteousness by the law are nothing but illegitimate sons. Okay. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and that's where Moses received the law. And corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, who is the mother of us all. So in other words, according to this passage of Scripture, the question is not who's your daddy. The question is who's your mama? Is it Hagar or is it Sarah? Are you a child of the bondwoman or a child of the free? All right? Let's go now to Galatians chapter 1. Is this, I hope this is blessing you. All right? Talking about what it means to be separated to the gospel. Watch this, verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man. In other words, I didn't learn this from any of the, the apostles, especially the big three, Peter, James, and John. Nor was I taught it, but, I, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, Jesus told Paul what to tell us. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Paul's uh, former conduct in Judaism, was that when he was a baby or a young boy, or was this happening when he was a man? The answer is a man. When he was persecuting the church, was he a little boy when he was doing that, or was he a man? Okay. Verse 14, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous, zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Did he do this as a grown man or a child? Okay. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now we're way past being a baby here. All right? This isn't talking about his natural birth. Paul and, and, and called me through his grace. Well, when was Paul called through his grace? He wasn't called through his grace at birth. He was called into grace on that road to Damascus. Separated me from my mother Hagar's womb and now called into grace. Woo. Okay, back to Romans 1. I'm sorry, I just had to pull out the T-bone steak right up front. We missed the salad. We missed all the appetizers. We're just getting right into it. Is that all right? This book is so wonderful. 
Verse 2. Hey, we made it to verse 2. Which he promised. You didn't, you didn't have any idea all that was in Romans chapter 1, did you? Verse 2. Which he promised before through his, holy, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, when did God promise all of this in the Holy Scriptures? When did he make this promise of this gospel? When did that happen? So now I want to take a moment and where, where did my wife go? Does she still go to church here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I need someone to read. Who will volunteer to read tonight? Don't make me pick you. Wow, not everybody at once. Okay, thank you, Eric. Appreciate that. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Jonna, I want you to take Genesis 15, 6. Uh, Tina, would you read tonight? No? Okay. Uh, Richard. You can, right? Okay. Isaiah <laughs> chapter 7, verse 14. Then we'll, then we'll move back here to Mr. Marshall. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Ron, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Derek Miller, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 9. All right. Let's start uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Eric, read. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Ah, it's the very first prophecy of the coming Messiah. It's the very first prophecy of Jesus that I will put enmity. This is after Adam and Eve had sinned. They've been caught red-handed. There they all there, all three there, and God is in their midst. And he begins to tell, and he's talking to the devil at this point. He says, I'm going to put enmity or hatred between your seed and her seed, capital S, which was Christ to come, and the seed of the serpent would later be revealed in John chapter 8 when Jesus is in a standoff with the Pharisees yet again, and he looks at them in the eyes and says, you are of your father the devil. Religion is the seed of the serpent. All right? He says, he's coming, and he's going to wreck your world. The first prophecy of Jesus. And then Genesis chapter 15 Genesis chapter 15, verse, verse 6. 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Yes, okay, so we know this verse of Scripture very well, uh, where Abraham was made righteous by faith, and later on, this became the central focus of Paul's teaching of the gospel. As he, uh, especially when we get to Romans 4, where really, he really breaks it down, the life of Abraham and what that means for us today, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And just the way Abraham got his righteousness, so do you. It all had to do with believing the message of God, believing the promise, believing this gospel, which was the promise that was afore spoken by the prophets. Isaiah chapter 7, we've got to look at the prophet Isaiah and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Oh, hallelujah. Shall call his name God with us. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 9, 6. Who's got that, Randy? 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, hmm. and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Oh, hallelujah. Prince of Peace. There's so many wonderful descriptions, so many wonderful names that Jesus carries there, but the government that would be upon his shoulders would be the gospel of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus came to this earth, he came preaching the government of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. Ron? Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Mm. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. <clears throat> All we, like sheep, having have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, my goodness. The Lord has laid it. There it is right there. There's the gospel. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We were like sheep. We were all gone astray. Nobody was looking for God. We were lost in our sin, and God blamed Jesus for our, for our ways gone astray. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, these are, these are words, these, the word transgression and the word iniquity, they basically just mean sin. Transgression is a more outer kind of rebellion, more of a stance. You know, the scripture says that while we were enemies with God, some of us were weak, some of us were enemies, some, are you hearing me? And while we were yet sinners, transgressions kind of have the feel of the more outward defiant rebellion. Iniquity is a little bit more what happens on the inside. Now think about it. He was wounded, bled out for our transgressions, He was bruised. That's bleeding on the inside Mm -hmm. for our iniquities. Blood covered every kind of sin, the inner and the outer, that which was in the heart and that which was in the actions. My goodness. Now, Isaiah chapter 54, Derek Miller, verse 9. Actually, also... Would you bring that up on the screen as well? Because I want all of us to look at this. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Go ahead, Derek. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. Stop right there. Now, we've talked about this before, but I want to take a little time on this. This is like the waters of Noah to me. Now, what is he referring to? What is that this that he's saying? He's talking about Isaiah 53, the prior chapter. He's talking about what we just read, that he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. He, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then when Isaiah chapter 54 opens up, it starts with, sing, O barren. This is what happens because judgment has been passed on Jesus. The Redeemer has come and has died for our sins. And now what has been released is found in Isaiah chapter 54. And we find ourselves in verse 9, and he says, this is like the waters of Noah to me. Now watch, what, 
as I have sworn, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that, and I think I asked you this Sunday, how many of you believe that there will be another worldwide flood? Nobody believes that. Why don't you believe that? What makes you so sure that there's not going to be another worldwide flood? Promised it, God said it, the rainbow. Just saw a brilliant rainbow a couple weeks ago here. Did you guys see that here? Beautiful. God put a rainbow in the sky as a sign of that covenant that he cut with Noah and all the living creatures of the earth. And he said, no longer, as I have sworn that I would no longer flood the earth, no longer will I do, do this again. As I have sworn, how did he do it? He, told, he did swear, but he gave a symbol, he gave a sign. And that rainbow was, was not particularly for us to see. Yeah, that was comforting for us to see, but it was really for God to see. I want to read a piece of scripture in Genesis, right, where God is talking to him about this. Uh, Genesis 9, 16, he says, The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant did you hear me? The everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. So that, that's, that's how we know. That's how we're so confident that it's not going to happen. God didn't do it just for a, for a thousand years. I won't flood the earth. No, this is an everlasting covenant. And that rainbow will always be there. And I'll look at that rainbow and I will remember what I said to you. And you'll look at it and be grateful that I said it. Yeah. <laughs> For as I sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, what this is like that. This, what Jesus did, what the Messiah came to do, what the Redeemer has done is like the waters of Noah. As I swore I would no longer cover the earth again with the flood, so have I sworn I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. And the sign and the seal of this covenant would be wounds and stripes on his son for our sins and for our healing and for our peace. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ sits on a throne called grace. Those, that, that rainbow being there, all of those colors in that rainbow are very significant to spiritual things. Now, I don't have time to go into those things, but especially the red one. The color red is especially significant for us. That redemptive thread, hallelujah, speaking of that blood of the everlasting covenant. He sits on a throne called grace, and the apostle Peter describes grace in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He says, he calls it the manifold grace of God teaches us to be good stewards of the manifold grace. That word manifold means Various colors. That rainbow is Jesus. That rainbow is grace. Hallelujah. So we're sure, am I, am I right? We're all sure that God's never going to flood the earth again. Am, am I right? Are we all on the same page here? 
So God says that this covenant spoken of in Isaiah 53 is like that covenant that I made with all of the earth. And as surely as you believe that I will never flood the earth again, then you've got to believe that I will never be angry with you and I will never rebuke you. Because if God is angry with you right now, then he can just flood the earth anytime he wants to. If he's mad at you. I mean, how many times, I, I don't know how many preachers I've heard talk about God's mad at America. God's angry with sin. No, he's not. Read your Bible. This, this little event took place. This small little insignificant event took place outside of a little city called Jerusalem on a hill where a man hung and died for the sins of the world and was buried in a tomb and three days later came back to life. God raised him. Just that little event satisfied the wrath of God completely. Well, Pastor Eric, what about the book of Revelation? There's a lot of wrath in there. Sure is. Don't forget the book of Revelation says that it's the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. This isn't about the Father. This is about the Son. It's called the wrath of the Lamb. You ever been afraid of a lamb I don't think I've ever been afraid of a lamb before. That description is funny to me. It's the wrath. I mean, I could get it. I could feel the impact of it if it said the wrath of the lion of the tribe of Judah. I mean, that would make me shake in my The wrath of the lamb? What's a lamb going to do? Well, it wasn't the lion that was slain. It was the lamb that was slain. And it's going to be the lamb that takes vengeance upon those who reject his sacrifice. But as long as that man, Christ Jesus, is seated on that throne of grace, as long as he's seated on that mercy seat, it's open for all to come. But ladies and gentlemen... There will be a day when he will stand up off of the mercy seat, out of his blood. And the scripture talks about his vesture being dipped in blood because that's what he's seated in right now. He brought that blood sacrifice, poured it on the mercy seat, and turned around and sat down, ensuring an everlasting covenant for us. But there is coming a day that that wrath that is storing up now will be unleashed. But that has nothing to do with you. You're on the other side of that deal. Amen. Matter of fact, you're on a horse with him. He's going to come back with 10,000s of his saints, as Jude says. You're going to be with him. Nothing to fear. We have nothing. Believers have nothing to fear on Judgment Day. Matter of fact, the Apostle John was so audacious to say that we may have, and this is love, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. This is a happy day for us. This is a joyous day for us. Because we're going to see him as he is. Oh, hallelujah. Though we don't see him, yet we know him. We commune with him in the spirit. Our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. But someday we're going to look him face to face. 
Someday we're going to see the one who was slain before the foundation of the world. We're going to see those covenant marks that God looks at and is satisfied with that great sacrifice. Satisfied and says the judgment is past. What a gospel. What a promise. This promise was aforementioned by the fathers concerning his son, Jesus Christ. The promise of Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm happy to be in the book of Romans so far. Wow, it's 813. I have to stop there because this next part is too long. It's too long. Born of the seed of David according to the flesh. You kidding me? I'm sorry. I can't do that in five minutes. You'll know why next week. Oh, man. Thank the Lord. You understand why, why we need to preach this gospel as it was presented to us? That we need to carry on. Can I go to one more scripture right quick? Just, 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 came, to, just, just came to me. Run over to Romans 10 with me for just a moment. Romans chapter 10. Got to keep the main thing, the main thing. Romans 10, verse 9. What does it say, Maddie? Do you remember it? Remember the song? You want to come up here and sing it for him? Come on, it's your birthday. How many of you want to hear Maddie sing? Romans chapter 10. I'll sing it with you. Can we get a microphone up in here? Come up here, come on. I'll do it with you. I don't really want to do this. Ready? No, thank you. All right, you. I don't know. I don't if you will that. confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made. Unto salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10. All right. <laughs> if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe. Thank you, doll. Hey, welcome to adulthood. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart... One believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11 says, as it is, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him, isn't this a great promise, will not be put to shame. Your faith. Let me tell you something. Faith takes all the riskiness out of life. Everything else is a risk. To doubt is to risk. Are you hearing me? Faith is your assurance. Faith, if you'll believe him, you'll not be put to shame. Yeah. Doubt will shame you. Despair will shame you. Discouragement will shame you. Quitting will shame you. But faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Yeah. All right, next verse, verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. Isn't that a great invitation? Whoever calls 
on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without one cause church? Won't you just say that? How are they going to hear without me? Well, take responsibility for the gospel and say, how are they going to hear without me? Hmm? How are they going to hear without me? The reason you are where you are because people need to hear you tell them the gospel. My place is to equip you for the work of the ministry. You're actually the ministers. I'm the equipper. Amen. Not very many amens happened at that moment. I know. Still true. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written. And he starts quoting Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach what? Hellfire and brimstone. You filthy, rotten worm of a sinner. No, 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 no. Who preach the gospel. Preach glad tidings. What does it say? The gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. Well, you got to preach the whole counsel of God. You can't just be all good, feeling good, and all that good, positive message. Well, I, I read the Bible. Hang on now. I read the Bible. And this says this is what the preacher is supposed to preach. A gospel of peace and glad tidings of Good things. I don't know what you're preaching, preacher, but I'm going to preach this. The gospel of peace, which means the end to the rage and havoc of war or exemption from the rage and havoc of war, a state of national tranquility. That's the gospel we preach. And we bring glad tidings. Hey, we're happy about this gospel. Of good things. Glory to God. And then it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? You know what Paul just taught us right there about obeying the gospel? To obey the gospel is to believe the gospel. Yes. To obey it is to believe it. Otherwise, your obedience is worth nothing. The do's and the don'ts, Paul said, you're illegitimate if you live in the do's and don'ts. But because you're sons, you are heirs. Heirs with Christ. That is, you get what Jesus gets. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's stand together. Father, let's just lift our hands to heaven. Father, we thank you. Oh, thank you for this good news that has come to us. We thank you for Jesus who brought peace. We thank you for Jesus who is the prince of peace, the one who com continues to ensure it for all mankind. As long as that man is seated next to his father, he represents all mankind to freely come and receive, to drink of the fountain of everlasting life, to enjoy the riches of your grace.
from ages to come that God wants to reveal these things to us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, all we need to do is bring faith to receive all of this grace. All we need to do is say, yes, Lord, I believe. I confess Jesus is Lord. And at that moment, hallelujah, we get all the good things that have been promised to us by the prophets from ages past, but now have come through us at the, to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. God, help us all to stay separated to the gospel, to not get outside of this message, to not dull the message, to not gray the message, Lord, but, Lord, to keep it what it is. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again from the dead on the third day. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, I thank you for this room full of preachers here tonight. Father, I thank you that you have people in their lives that need, so desperately need to hear their lips move and their voices speak and declare the gospel of peace and to bring glad tidings of good things. Thank you, Lord, for, for filling your people with courage and boldness, God. This earth is yearning and groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. Hallelujah. We thank you that we're no longer slaves, but sons. We bless you tonight. Lord, I declare great grace and peace now be multiplied from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to everyone here tonight and to all of their families. I declare health in their bodies, peace in their minds. I declare what David said, you surround them with favor as with a shield. I thank you, God, that they are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name that no weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that rises against them in judgment, they shall condemn. Thank you that they have the victory and they continue to live in the reality of that victory as they walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you that you always lead us in triumph. You always give us the victory. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that the hands here tonight that are raised will be laid on people who are sick and the sick will recover. I thank you, Lord, that they have power over all the power of the enemy. They have the authority, the name of Jesus that is a name above every name. And they'll go and they'll cast out devils, Lord. Lord, they will not be shy. They will not hold back. They will not retreat. But, Lord, they will be uh, uh, strong and they will be bold, Lord, to declare your gospel and to demonstrate that gospel. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11, and Wednesday evenings at 7, and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings, and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.